Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views of Talk to Generated Production, SodaHead.com, and sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Talking to live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia. Into the conversation, call 1724 444 
Call ID number 55519 pound. That's 1724-444-2444. Call ID number 55519 pound. Shades of white paint. Come on, it was a tough decision. <laughs> so what did you get? Ultra premium puffy cloud white. And that'll match? I have no idea. There's another can in the car. I just want to sit for a sec. Are you okay? <sighs> Two out of three people with diabetes die of a heart attack or stroke. But you can lower the risk. Ask your health care provider how. For more info, go to diabetesactnow.org. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association and the Ad Council. Check it out, it's the Terminator. Hey, when'd you get back, huh? Did you have to shoot anyone? Why are you so distant? Are you not happy to see me? So what's the deal? You gonna get a job now or what? Why are you being so jumpy? Put all that stuff behind you, okay? No one knows what it's like to come back from Iraq or Afghanistan unless they were there. Join other veterans at communityofveterans.org because we know where you're coming from. Brought to you by Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and the Ad Council. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. What's the champ wearing? Looks like an examination gown. And from the back... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the get-up? I've got to take care of my family, so I'm getting those important medical screens. The fight is over! Champ, you look pretty healthy out there tonight, but I'm still getting those tests. For a list of tests you need, go to ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to AHRQ.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later, and you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah, and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, Visit LoseYourExcuse.gov slash parent. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. 
The views of peace, the nation talk are not necessarily views of talk show. Jim Ready Production, com, And its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Kaepernick. That's it. It's about Kaepernick. 
is what what he said about Kaepernick, which uh, which as I was preparing, he he wasn't for this panel. I thought about Eric Garner again, as I often do, and the fact that he said eleven times, "We know I can't breathe." And I've often reflected on the fact that those words, I can't breathe, if you would have just changed the first one, we can't breathe. That's not what it does. Um, it's what he said. It was a comment of what um, about Kaepernick's decision or what he did now. I think it was just a few weeks ago, and I gave my opinion to. I gave gave my opinion. I felt about Kaepernick. I, my opinion was that I think he had that right actually to to. Um, He had that right actually to decide of what what of what he did. That was his decision. Ah, here it is. I found it. Brother Martin gives Bill O'Reilly history on blacks and American patriotism. <laughs> Check this. He went to school with this guy. He took Bill O'Reilly to school. Ronald Martin delivered a blistering rebuttal to Bill O'Reilly, who continues to criticize NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick. was like posted like three days ago. Come from TV One. This, this is what he did. This is what he said on TV One on his program. I said he took Bill Riley to school. He took him to school. Speaking of not caring about black people, Bill O'Reilly. Oh, Folks, the Fox News host the other night, two nights ago, he tried to chastise Colin Kaepernick. Hey, he's written some book, and then he decides to go on his show, actually one of the Today Show earlier, then he goes on his book, and he said this about the San Francisco 49er quarterback who's been protesting uh, by kneeling of bringing attention to police brutality. So here's my message to Mr. Kaepernick and his sympathizers. No nation is perfect, but American police officers very rarely shoot civilians. The statistics prove it. Also, while there is social injustice and black... ...have suffered in this country, most Americans deplore bias, and we have seen tremendous improvements in that area. 
to overhype the few police shootings that do occur and to create hostility toward your own country should be put in a basket of deplorables. Perspective is everything in life. Now, I am going to send Kaepernick a copy of Killing the Rising Sun. I am not confident he will read it. But if he does, he might understand that millions of Americans have given their lives for the cause of freedom. Freedom for blacks in the Civil War. Freedom for everybody in the Revolutionary War. Freedom for Asians and freedom for Europe in World War II and World War I. I do not respect Colin Kaepernick's actions. I think he is wrong in the extreme. And I think his frame of reference about his own country is scant. S-C-A-N-T. And I think that is stupid. S-T-U-P-I-D. Here's the reality. Did Bill O'Reilly just say that millions of Americans gave their lives for the freedom of black folks in the American Revolution? Last I checked, black folks were not free during the American Revolution. In fact, last I checked, many black folks who first came to this country in 1619 fought for the British in order to gain their freedom. That's a historical fact. Bill, what books are you reading? Because last I checked, 1776, America founded. Emancipation uh, Proclamation did not come on until 1863, uh, almost 100 years later, Bill. So exactly what black folks were freed during the American Revolution? Oh, then, Bill, of course, cited the Civil War, and again, uh, somehow believing that, oh, no, they were fighting for the freedom of black people. Really? So please explain to me the, the Great Compromise of 1877, the end of the period of Reconstruction after 12 years that ushered in Jim Crow. You know that deal that was cut where Republican Rutherford B. Hayes became president and Democrats said you got to pull the federal troops out of the South? See, that's the same history, Bill. So please explain to me again how black folks were freed, because if black folks were freed with the Civil War, then that means we would not have had Jim Crow. I mean, we would not have had to go through the Civil Rights Movement. But then, of course, you then have the audacity, the mitigated gall, to actually say that, oh, it was also about freeing black people during World War II. Well, please explain to me how many black soldiers came back to America and they still had racial hatred. Explain to me the black soldiers who were forced to ride in the back of rail cars when the German POWs were allowed to ride in front of them because of racism in America. See, Bill, you want Colin Kaepernick to read your book about patriotism and real patriotism. No, Bill O'Reilly. The real patriotism is when you're black in America and you fought for a nation even though that nation did not fight for you. That's real patriotism. So imagine those African Americans who fought in the Civil War knowing full well they were not fully free. Imagine the African Americans who fought in World War One and World War Two and in the Korean War and the Vietnam War knowing full well that America was not willing to see them as free. That's actual history. So Bill O'Reilly, damn your book. Colin Kaepernick <laughs> should not read your book because your book is a joke when it comes to patriotism. So book, Bill, I've got some books for you to read because it's clearly what you have been reading is absolutely nonsensical. So, Bill, here's the first one. Blood, Black Veterans of the Vietnam War, an old history by Wallace Terry. You might want to read that book to get the sense what it was like for black soldiers facing bigotry in Vietnam, supposedly fighting against communism when they're still fighting for freedom in America. How about this book, Bill? 
I never had it made, an autobiography of Jackie Robinson by Jackie Robinson. If you read that book, Bill, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out that it was Jackie Robinson who also said in that very book why he did not salute the flag, why he did not uh, uh, stand for the national anthem, because he said America has never seen me as truly an American. That's what Jackie mm-hmm. Robinson said. By the way, Bill, he was a veteran, served in the Army, but also we had to go through a court-martial in Texas when he chose not to ride at the back of the bus. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that black folks were freed in the American Revolution and the previous wars, so why did he have to ride at the back of the bus in El Paso, Texas. Let's go to the next book, Bill. Patton's Panthers, the African-American 761st Tank Battalion in World War II by Charles Sasser. That details those brothers uh, who were sitting here uh, fighting alongside Patton. Here's another book for you, Bill. American Patriots, the story of blacks in the military from the revolution to Desert Storm by Gail Lumet Buckley. Yes, right. Black folks, actual American patriots. Here's another book, Bill, Strength for the Fight, the History of Black Americans in the Military by Bernard C. Nolte. Something else you should read. But how about this one? Benjamin O. Davis, Jr., American, an autobiography, a black man who we went to West Point, and they did not speak to him for an entire year while he was at West Point. See, Bill, I thought we were all Americans. I thought we were all free. But you mentioned World War II, which your new book is about. So why don't you read this book called The Double V Campaign, African Americans in World War II by Michael L. Cooper. See, here's what you don't realize, Bill. The Double V Campaign was about fighting for victory abroad and victory at home. It was Robert Abbott, the founder of the Chicago Defender, who also started this when he founded the paper. They picked it up when John Sinstack became publisher of the Chicago Defender. You might want to read Evan McKaylee's book on the Defender, uh, a black paper that changed America, because it was black newspapers who challenged America by saying, hey, how can we fight against the Nazis? How can we fight against fascism? But we somehow, we have racism in America. Bill, you might then learn with the Double B campaign. There was J. Edgar Hoover and the federal government who tried to put those black publishers in jail because they dared to write about the racism that was happening on military bases in America. Oh, I'm sorry. You ran up against a black man who can actually read. How about this book, Bill O'Reilly, The Counter-Revolution of 1776, Slave Resistance and the Origins of the United States by Gerald Horn. In that particular book, you read of those, African, those Africans of descent who chose to fight for the British because the British promised them their freedom. But Gerald Horn also makes the argument in his book, Bill O'Reilly, that the reason for the American Revolution was because the 13 colonies feared the British were going to outlaw slavery. Abolish slavery, which was their only income in the United States. To see, Bill, it was slavery. It was picking cotton that created capitalism in America and allowed America to become of the greatest of a nation when it came financially, not the Industrial Revolution, but it was picking cotton. But I got another book for you, Bill, on the altar of freedom, of black soldiers, Civil War letters from the front by James Henry Gooding. See, that's another book. I got one more for you, Bill, Buffalo Soldiers, the Colored Regulars in the United States Army by T.G. Stewart. Also another book, Bill, The Marines of Montford Point, America's First Black Marines by Melton McLaurin. If you can read, Bill, they got an audio book so you can actually listen to them. You actually hear the stories of black soldiers 
talking about what was a, what was it like to have a uniform on, to have an American flag on their shoulder, but still face racism in the military. I dare say there has been no person who has been a truer American patriot than an African American who has been willing to fight for this nation when the nation would not fight for him and her. That bill is American history. That's the history that Colin Kaepernick is talking about. And so if you want somebody to read your book, why don't you actually read what it's like to be a real patriot? So Colin Kaepernick, if he sends you your book, his book, throw it in the trash, and then send him an Amazon gift card to go buy some other books so he can learn what it's like to be black in America, what it's learn how to fight for America, what it's learn to be when you're in Mega Everest and you fought for America, but you had to come back in your uniform. Bill, read about those black soldiers who came back from World War II who were lynched in their uniforms, who were shot in their uniforms. They fought for America, but America didn't turn around and kill them. Bill, school is now over. It's time for you to go do some damn homework. Kickstart your day at 7 and get the news you need from the perspective you want. News One Now with Roland Martin. Every weekday morning. Well, enough said, and I'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Thinking about you. XOXOXO. One, two, snuggle, dot, dot, dot. JK, hit me back. You getting these texts, question mark. We should hang later. I miss you. Holla at your boy. Holla back. Holla back. Holla back. Are you at home? Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. Are you with your ex? You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at thatsnotcool.com. That'snotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Ahoy, ye mateys. Now I know you probably think a pirate like me with a peg leg and an eye patch is in search of me buried treasure... But tis not so, me ladies. My brave crew and I have pledged to plunder no more until we clean up all the garbage that comes out here from land. <laughs> Why, just today, I found an aluminum can that says soda pop from the mountaintop. Somebody probably threw it on the ground and it washed into a drain pipe and into a river and into the ocean. <laughs> now I've got the best crew in seven seas. <laughs> but we can't do it all ourselves. Oh, not on our own. Lend us a hand. I always recycle and dispose of your trash properly. To learn more about keeping oceans clean, visit keepoceansclean.org. Not tarnation. I mean, keepoceansclean.org. Right? That's keepoceansclean.org. Yeah. What he said. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad. Yeah. You remember that ball game we went to a couple years ago? Sure. And how you didn't have enough cash for two hot dogs, so you walked with me on your shoulders until we found an ATM? And then when we got back to our seats, we never saw the hot dog guy again. Well, I don't remember all that. Yeah, that was an awesome game. You never know which moments will be the ones they'll remember forever. So take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven for dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Ranger Station, Ranger Speaker. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location. Uh, 
have in the woods just outside of town. Oh, not surprising you've got your home bears have theirs. Yeah, but see, this wasn't just any bear. This bear was wearing jeans and a hat, as in the Smokey Bear. Jeans and a hat, that's definitely Smokey. What exactly did he have to say? Well, we were about to head home, you know, after having a bonfire. Oh, I can guess where this is going. Right, right. See, Smokey told me the fire wasn't actually out. He said if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. That's true. Did you know that 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans? That means 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Wow, no kidding? I'm a forest ranger. We never kid. Sorry. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh. Get your Smokey on. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Because 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk to Generating Productions, Sorehead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. and fabricator. 
Now, this report comes in the same week that Snowden supporters launched a campaign to get him a pardon from President Obama and Oliver Stone's new biopic, Snowden, hit theaters. Yahoo's chief investigative correspondent, Mike Isikoff, joins me now to talk everything Snowden. And, Mike, it's a 36-page report by the House Intelligence Committee. It was the result of a two-year investigation, and it remains classified. But what has been released? What do we know? What we have is a three-page summary um, that does obviously seek to reshape the, the public narrative on Snowden at a time that you have this big new Oliver Stone movie coming out the very day it's being released today that portrays him as a courageous whistleblower who helped uh, expose the uh, abusive and illegal surveillance by the U.S. government. Um, now, it is unquestioned that um, as a result of the Snowden disclosures, uh, there were real changes in U.S. policy. Uh, Congress passed a new law uh, to end the uh, mass collection of metadata uh, by uh, the NSA. Uh, other reforms were instituted. But the report um, really um, uh, drives home some points that uh, are certainly absent from the movie. One question is, what was Snowden's motivation in stealing uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of government docu classified government documents? Does uh, it answer that, that question? It, the it, well, the that? report says he only began downloading these documents after he got into a uh, workplace with his supervisor and was reprimanded in June of 2012. Uh, and then supervisor and was reprimanded, the report says, is only then did he begin downloading the documents. Now, in the movie, you see Snowden watching that famous testimony by uh, James Clapper, the director of national intelligence, where he denies that he, that the US, that the NSA collects any information at all about American citizens that was false testimony that testimony took place in March of 2013 according to the report and that in the movie that's a big breaking point that helps motivate Snowden to do what he did to blow the whistle uh, when he sees the government lying in the report it says that was he had already begun downloading these documents nine months earlier. So that does raise questions about uh, Snowden's motivation. What was driving him? Was it because he was a disgruntled employee? Was it because he really had problems with the extent of surveillance? Or is it a mixture of both, as is often the case? Now, we know the House Intelligence Committee sent a letter to President Obama asking that he not be pardoned. Do you think? A pardon is likely before Obama leaves office? No. I, I think that uh, there's very little chance. Certainly there is a major campaign underway, uh, time for the release of the movie, uh, to generate public support for a pardon. Uh, you have the ACLU, human rights groups. There was an op-ed in the New York Times today. And certainly a lot of people are going to see this movie and be sympathetic to the idea of a pardon. But um, there is such a gap between what's 
shown on the screen in that movie and what is going to be accepted as reality by a large segment, segment of the American public, particularly young people, and what people in the intelligence community think about Snowden. And this report is reflective of it. It calls him a serial exaggerator, a fabricator. It uh, uh, pokes holes at his employment record, um, says he failed a, uh, uh, a training exercise for how to conduct surveillance. Um, uh, it, it, so on every level, there is a dispute about what Snowden did, how he did it. I, I want to take another point from the, um, uh, from the report. How did Snowden manage to download so many government documents without anybody in the government knowing? And there's a particularly damning passage in the report, which I'll, I'll read to you. It's worth knowing. Um, it's worth hearing. He obtained his colleagues' security credentials through misleading means, abused his access as a systems administrator to search his co-workers' personal drives and remove the personally identifiable information of thousands of IC employees and contractors. Now, if that's true, and, and this is certainly what the intelligence community has been saying for some time, you know, Snowden did engage in a rather significant deception of not just his bosses, but his co-workers, everybody he was involved with. Um, so when you see that and you know that, um, it does have to raise questions about whether to accept Snowden's account now of what he did, because so little of what he says can be corroborated or checked, just as so, many, so much of what the intelligence community says about the damage that he caused, it's very difficult. on the screen in that movie and what is going to be accepted as reality by a large segment, segment of the American public, particularly young people, and what people in the intelligence community think about Snowden. And this report is reflective of it. It calls him a serial exaggerator, a fabricator. It uh, uh, pokes holes at his employment record, um, says he failed a, uh, uh, a training exercise or how to conduct surveillance. Um, uh, it, it, so on every level, there is a dispute about what Snowden did, how he did it. I, I want to take another point from the, um, uh, from the report. How did Snowden manage to download so many government documents without anybody in the government knowing? And there's a particularly damning passage in the report, which I'll, I'll read to you. It's worth knowing, um, it's worth hearing, he obtained his colleagues' security credentials through misleading means, abused his access as a systems administrator to search his co-workers' personal drives and remove the personally identifiable information of thousands of IC employees and contractors. Now, if that's true, and, and this is certainly what the intelligence community has been saying for some time, you know, Snowden did engage in a rather significant deception of not just his bosses, but his co-workers, everybody he was involved
involved with. Um, so when you see that and you know that, um, it does have to raise questions about whether to accept Snowden's account now of what he did because so little of what he says can be corroborated or checked, just as so, many, so much of what the intelligence community says about the damage that he caused it's very difficult to check and corroborate. What this really underscores to me is how little we really know about the Snowden episode. Well, Snowden was quick to respond to this report. And he tweeted yesterday, quote, Congress spent two years writing a report to discourage you from going to see this film. It opens tomorrow. And we talked about sort of the curious timing of this report. This is very deliberate that they put this report out the day the Oliver Stone movie opened. Well, I talked to uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, who's the ranking Democrat on the, uh, on the committee, and signed on to this report, signed on to the letter, as all the Democrats did, uh, urging President Obama not to um, uh, pardon Snowden. And he insisted to me it's a coincidence of timing. They've been working on this for two years. They just happened to vote uh, this week uh, to complete it, I, I, you know, I think we can all take, you know, uh, raise some skepticism about that. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, um, you know, I've talked to people in the intelligence community, and they are concerned about the impact of the Oliver Stone movie and this campaign uh, to portray Snowden as a, a, as a hero, because it undermines the legitimacy of what they do. They need the public's trust. They need to recruit smart young people out of colleges and graduate schools to work for the NSA uh, and the intelligence community. And if it is viewed with the kind of distrust that is portrayed in this movie, um, that's going to make it very difficult um, for uh, everybody in the U.S. intelligence community. And Mike, I know you saw the Oliver Stone film. What were your thoughts? Uh, it's, uh, 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 I thought it was a pretty good movie as a movie. Uh, it was engrossing. I thought the acting was pretty good. Um, but, you know, factually, there are clearly uh, liberties with the truth, as with any Hollywood movie and certainly as with any Oliver Stone movie. Uh, uh, that clapper scene that I um, mentioned before is uh, high is, drama, right? It is, is drama, but is not doesn't match reality. There's a, a scene where they show a hot map of uh, of where the U.S. where the NSA collects intelligence country by country, suggesting that signals intelligence is mostly in the United States, or the United States has the largest volume of signals intelligence, that's not true. It doesn't even match the documents that Snowden leaked to Glenn Greenwald Greenwald wrote about. So um, Stone is clearly taking um, oh, Hollywood license, to, right? to, to, uh, yeah, uh, uh, to advance the story. Right. Mike Isikoff, thanks as always. We appreciate your time. Thank you. We always look forward to hearing what you have to So what do you think? You think Snowden lies? You think this movie is factual enough for him to get a pardon? It all remains to be seen. This is Station Talk.
help stop violence before it starts. Teach boys early that violence against women is wrong. Learn how at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Check it out. It's the Terminator. Hey, when'd you get back, huh? Did you have to shoot anyone? Why are you so distant? Are you not happy to see me? So what's the deal? You gonna get a job now or what? Why are you being so jumpy? Put all that stuff behind you, okay? No one knows what it's like to come back from Iraq or Afghanistan unless they were there. Join other veterans at communityofveterans.org because we know where you're coming from. Brought to you by Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and the Ad Council. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. What's the champ wearing? Looks like an examination gown. And from the back... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the get-up? I've got to take care of my family, so I'm getting those important medical screens. The fight is over! Champ, you look pretty healthy out there tonight, but I'm still getting those tests. For a list of tests you need, go to ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah, and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit LoseYourExcuse.gov slash parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. The views of the nation talk are not necessarily views. Our talk show, generatingproductionsonia.com, and sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Welcome back. You're listening to Nation Talk. 15, 15 minutes before the hour, here on the East Coast. Here's an interesting, uh, an interesting but sad story. I just, it's very sad. Slain black youth BB gun called almost identical to real weapon. This is in Columbus, Ohio. Ohio, um, a writer's news service. The mayor of Columbus, Ohio, said on Friday that the air pistol brandished at police by a black 13-year-old boy as he was shot dead by a white officer this week was nearly indistinguishable 
from weapons carried by members of the city's police force. Mayor and Andrew Gutner, Ginter, appeared with Police Chief Kim Jacobs for a tense community meeting of more than 200 people, most of them African Americans, who were who were invited to ask questions of city officials at the church gathering for just over an hour. But Gittner and Jacobs, who are both white, along with the city's public safety director, Ned Pettis, who is black, had few had few new details to offer about circumstances leading to the fatal shooting on Wednesday of Tyree of Tyree King. Officials appealed appealed for patience on the part of the public while investigators of the incident continue. Pastor Jason Ritter, Ridley of the of the Central Seventh Day Adventist Church said, "Quote: Everyone here is emotional. We are all hurting." Uh, he he hosted the gathering and said the crowd's mood, which grew angry as officials concluded the session after about 30 questions, leaving many more wanting to speak. One woman shouted, So, we don't get a voice, drawing applause and jeers before she was removed by security officers. According to police account of the shooting, Officer Brian Mason, a nine-year veteran of the, of the force, shot King multiple times after the youth drew what appeared to be, remember the, the words appear to be, a handgun from his waistband during an encounter with police in an alley. It was later determined to be an air pistol that fired BBs, small, metal, ball-bearing, like pellets, pellets, not bullets. But according to Gittner, the BB gun looks almost identical to the 9mm Glock semi-automatic handguns carried by Columbus police officers. The mayor said police in the Ohio State Capitol who had no video footage of the fatal shooting are expected to begin equipping their officers with body cameras early next year. A step other big cities departments have implemented to provide additional oversight and accountability. Now they want to put body cameras on. After all this time, after the shooting, now they want to now they want to put body cameras on these police officers after they shoot this young after they shoot this boy. Man, please, 
police who confronted the boy were responding to reports of an armed robbery by a man who told officers that a group of males had demanded money and threatened him with a gun. King was one of the three suspects police had sought to apprehend, according to authorities. King's family members have said in a statement released by their lawyers that the version of the version of events related by Mason, a nine-year-old veteran of police who had been placed on leave, conflicted with accounts accounts of witnesses. Now they put him on leave. King's death come nearly two years after the fatal shooting of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was black by who's black by a white Cleveland police officer responded to report a, of a suspect with a gun in a city park. An investigation revealed Rice had a repellent gun that shoots plastic pellets. Rice's death became a rally point for the Black Lives Matter movement and one of the number of deaths that led to nationwide demonstrations against the use of excessive force against minorities, especially young boys, especially young black boys, black men by police. Columbus has been remained calm since King's death. Family and friends held a prayer vigil on Thursday near where the boy was shot. And this was this is in um, Columbus, Ohio. And I'm looking at the gun. It looks like, it do looks like a Glock. But only one difference is a toy. And they say black lives don't matter. How dare them? I don't believe. And now they want to put body cameras on the police. They want to put body cameras on them. (laughs) You know what? I'm just too pissed off right now to say anything about this because stories like this pisses me off. One, they have these 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 black boys running around with guns, and two, you got trigger happy cops, trigger happy cops who. Trigger happy cops that that shoots innocent people or beat them up. Guess two. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. This, he says the cops get paid to take bullets. 
they get paid to take the bullets. Why are they giving the bullets? Why are they shooting their bullets in someone else's body? Think about that. Think about that. Why are they shooting their bullets at someone else? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. That still pisses me off. Here's another one. Ohio police indicted in shooting death and beating case. This is this is a uh in Cleveland. Cleveland a Cleveland police officer was indicted for neglect homicide and the shooting death of an unarmed black man on Friday and two former officers in nearly East Cleveland were indicted for kidnapping and assault for beating a black man who was under arrest. Now see you see what I'm talking about? You see you see what you see what you see what I'm talking about? You make a good point, guess too. If you cannot control your family, how can you con- how can you run the country? Shooting the cops. Shoot the cops. Now, I'm not gonna go there that now uh I'm not gonna go there that far and say shoot the cops. That's like just that's like um that's like what they used to say back in the day. Um, like the police. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what they used to say back in the day. Uh, the indictments by a Kulakon County grand jury came aim increased scrutiny of the use of force by police in Ohio, where an officer in Columbus this this week shot and killed a 13-year-old boy, the same story that I just talked about a minute ago, who was carrying a pellet gun. In, in the Cleveland case, Officer Alan Buford, who is black, was indicted for misdemeanor, neglect, homicide, and the 2015 death of of an un, unarmed Breaking and entering suspect Brandon Jones, guess what age? 18. Now, the county prosecutor, Timothy J. McKenzie, said in a statement on Friday, it is not, it's not reasonable for a police officer to use deadly force if he or she does not believe a suspect poses a threat or serious body harm to the police or the public, according to what McGinty said. Uh, the prosecutor said Buford and his partner respond, responded to a report of a break-in at a grocery store in Cleveland with guns drawn and confronted Jones, who was carrying a bag of stolen items. Ohio police in recent years have been the focus of concern 
over excessive and even lethal force against minority suspects. Now, you see what I mean? You see what I mean? You see what I mean? It, it really pisses me off. It really pisses me off about this. They have these these boys carrying guns, and then you have um, the police using deadly force on those who who who, who are not even a, a threat, and they end up shooting them. What sense does it make? Again, I ask that question. My guest apparently is not is not coming on, so we'll be doing some more of stories, crime crime stories in the next hour. This is Nation Talk. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show Jam Radio Productions. SodaHead.com and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs, ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you, the enchanted you. Magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes, that one. The free-to-be-me you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The views of opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views. A talk show generated for Duchess, Sonahead.com, and the sponsors. This is Nation Talk. hotel owner. Why should you care? Well, they looked on popular websites that don't have this hotel, so you wouldn't have found it either. 
However, on Trivago, you never rely on one or even several websites because Trivago searches more than 200 of them. That way you find your ideal hotel for the best price. The visitors, rabbits, and Jim. like that about Trivago, and so should you. Hotel, Trivago. What can you tell us about the explosion in New Jersey? Are there any suspects, any leads to officials think there may be a connection to what happened in New York or Minnesota? Well, Jake, first off, uh, we don't believe at this time that there's any evidence uh, connecting it to the attacks in New York or Minnesota. Uh, the FBI is leading the investigation along with the New Jersey State Police and our Office of Homeland Security. We have some promising leads, but no suspects at this time. And so we're continuing to work with the authorities to make sure that we bring whoever's responsible for this uh, to justice as quickly as possible. There must be uh, a lot of suspicion in your mind, though, about a connection to terror, especially with the uh, bombing in New York uh, the same day. Oh, of course there are. You know, but I, again, I think one of the things, and this comes from my, my background as a prosecutor for seven years, Jake, you, you don't want to jump to conclusions, and you don't want to put information out there that you don't know is absolutely true. And so, as I said, we have some promising leads. We're working with the FBI and our state police to follow them. Uh, but obviously, if you look at um, a number of these incidents, uh, you can call them whatever you want. They are terrorism, though. There's no doubt about that. They're terrorism. Now, who's responsible is something else and what the motive was. It's something else that hopefully we're going to find out in the days ahead. The fortunate thing here in New Jersey is that no one was injured. The race had not start yet, started yet down at the Jersey Shore. So we're very fortunate that no one was injured here. We pray for those people um, who were injured in those other attacks. There is a contrast, I would say, between how you're speaking about it and how Mr. Trump spoke about it yesterday. He's being criticized for talking about the New York bomb before local officials or local law enforcement had a chance to do so. do so. He told the Colorado Springs crowd that a bomb went off in New York and nobody knows exactly what's going on. That's really just a few minutes after the incident. And his opponent tried to draw a contrast. She waited hours later until local officials spoke, and then she said this. I think it's important to know the facts about uh, any incident like this. I think it's uh, always uh, wiser to wait until you have uh, information before uh, making conclusions. As a general note, do you think politicians should wait until more information comes in, and should they defer to local officials and investigators? Isn't that what you do as the governor of New Jersey? Well, listen, I don't think you have to defer when saying that there was an explosion in the bomb in New York. I mean, everybody knew that. It was being reported on television. So there's a difference. Now, you, you shouldn't attribute it to any particular uh, organization or group if you don't have the facts or information to do that. But I think that what Donald did was perfectly appropriate to tell that group in Colorado Springs that a bomb exploded. And listen, this is typical Mrs. Clinton. She has absolutely no basis to be critical of what he did yesterday. But since her campaign is only based upon that, that's the only uh, you know, issue she could go to. And it's a shame, but it's because of her type of leadership um, over the last uh, eight years, along with the president, that the world is a much more dangerous place.
This was a very serious incident. It's going to take a lot of careful investigation to get to the facts and get to the truth. And one of the things we're going to say to you today is we're going to be very careful and patient to get to the full truth here. We're not going to offer you easy offer you easy answers we're going to make sure we have all the facts we know there was a bombing that much we do know we know it's a very serious incident but we have a lot more work to do to be able to say what kind of motivation was behind this? Was it a political motivation, a personal motivation? What was it? We do not know that yet. That work must go on. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. 
We've been married 38 years. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We play golf and we travel, but we also decided we were going to give to and volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. I do the nursing at the clinic. I work the front office, checking in patients, greeting them, making them feel comfortable. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places, the places that need it most and implement it best. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We even get a few bless yous. It's incredible. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. So we don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The odds of a young girl being discovered by an industry insider while singing to herself pumping gas? One in 300 million. The odds of the daughter of a clergyman from Severn, Maryland, spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? One in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of selling over 40 million records? One in 800,000. The odds of this musician and performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Arr! We be under attack. Man the long nine. Arr! Barely boarded. What? No, not by the enemy flagship. By garbage. The beautiful ocean be full of it these days. Many of folk don't know that when they throw their trash on the ground, it eventually makes its way into the ocean. So lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. And learn more what you can do to keep the ocean healthy at KeepOceansClean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. community and police are nothing new. But as Angela Ingram explains, locally, black leaders say this week was extremely tough for a number of reasons. The videos of two African-American men shot and killed by police made for a tense week, then last night shooting deaths of five Dallas officers at the hands of a black sniper made things worse. It's prompting black leaders in our community to have some honest discussions. When things happen, we need to address them right then. Let's not put them on the back burner. Let's address the situation right then. Deron Hunter mentors inner-city youth and takes them on field trips, exposing them to college life. Hunter says it's important to talk to youth about the tense atmosphere from the shootings. I think it affects our youth a lot because we see so much violence in our cities, and the youth have become desensitized to it. Strained relationships between the black community and police are nothing new. Pastor Ennis Tate has the talks with his congregation and his teenage son about how to handle police interactions. 
what you don't want to do is give any indication that you are going to resist or create a, a contentious situation by following the protocols. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. I tell them, you know, do what the police officer tells you to do. A lot of times that may not still work out in your best interest, but I would say your chances are better. Community leaders are hoping that both sides will come to the table to prevent more tragedy and that locally officers get to know the people in the neighborhoods they serve. If they get to know the people, say, hey, this guy's not bad at all. He talks the same way I do. He thinks about the same things I do. And I think relationships will get a little better there. you got to get these guys to ease up and come on into the black community. And a group of ministers, police, and political leaders met today at City Hall with Mayor Cranley, and they talked about how to keep peace in Cincinnati. Live in the newsroom, Angela Ingram, Local 12 News. Cammie, back to you. It's been a rather rough week for law enforcement officers, not just in Dallas, Minnesota, and Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but also around the nation. Of course, now we've had an incident in our nation's capital. Law enforcement officers, they are coming under fire. Many are starting to look inward at some of the practices of their own police department, joining us now to help uh, give us more insight into this recent uh, developments is uh, attorney Antonio Romanucci joining us from his offices in Chicago. He's worked in this capacity uh, now for, for some time and has worked uh, in helping uh, some victims of police misconduct as he represents them in court. Um, Antonio, it's certainly been a rough few, uh, few days and a rough week here for, for police officers. I know. Uh, Chicago has struggled with, with some of these similar incidents in recent days as well. Good afternoon, and thank you for allowing me to be on the show today. Yes, it, it has been a rough week. I mean, really, you know, if you look at this past, you know, several days in our, in our nation, I think we're going to look back at this period of time and, and, and say this was historic. You know, not in the good sense, but in the sense that there's so much going on right now that we really have to take a step back, evaluate, we have to redefine ourselves, not only as a people, but also as a culture. Who do we want to be remembered as? There's a lot of talk about uh, whether or not there's racial bias, whether or not there's systemic racial bias in the way that police officers conduct themselves, especially uh, in some big cities. Uh, have you seen evidence of that, and how would you characterize the interactions of police in Chicago or in other cities uh, that you have worked with? Well, if you look at, at my home base here in Chicago, I don't think there's any doubt uh, that there's racial bias when it comes to policing. Uh, there's a significant lawsuit that we have filed here uh, on behalf of African Americans. It's a stop and frisk lawsuit, as it's commonly known, where we're alleging that uh, over 70% of the stops that police make uh, in order to ascertain whether or not there are weapons or drugs or guns, uh, anything of that nature, are, are stopped, are people of, of color who are stopped. And African-Americans do not make up 70% of the population here in Chicago, although the police argue that that's where the crime is and that's where they need to make the stops. But the numbers don't show that. So I believe very strongly that there is a racial bias uh, when it comes to policing. There's a profiling. Um, and it's not only here, but I also see it in other parts of the country, too. Of course, uh, you've just had a, a new uh, police chief and a, a sort of a change, a transition of power there in the police department, a lot of uh, reform in the works as, as uh, officials there look to engage with members of the community and look to improve in their policing as well. But uh, in Dallas now, that's a police department that is certainly grieving, uh, a tough day for them as they look to one another for strength and for support, and a nation uh, sheds and, and, and tears with them and reaches out for outpouring with them. 
Uh, but the Dallas Police Department has been widely recognized and acknowledged for doing a fantastic job at engaging the community, reaching out, asking members of the community how they would like to be policed. Are, are, are those some characteristics, some traits that you'd like to see other police uh, departments also embrace? Absolutely. I think what you've seen in Dallas, and, and when you look at um, how much time it's taken Dallas in order to reach the level of trust that they have now that, you know, that the community has in them, it's been about 12 or 15 years. And, and that's the sort of trust that we need, not only here in Chicago, but across the country. So what happened in Dallas should not have happened you know, anywhere. I don't believe that any police officer you know, should have been shot at or killed at all. But when you look at what Dallas has done over the past 15 years in developing that community policing, where their interaction and their, and their, and their boots on the ground with the people, that's the type of trust that heals community and builds trust and actually reduces violence. And that's what we need here in Chicago. A lot of has been made about, uh, and a lot of casual observers look at one moment in time, and there's always the knee-jerk reaction. But uh, as you pointed out, it took 10 to 15 years for Dallas to improve to the point where they are now. And many who have studied this for their careers will tell you that many of the underlying tensions that exist didn't happen overnight. They've been a work in progress, and it's taken a long time to get to where we are today. But you mentioned about dialing down tensions and reducing violence. What kind of a message does it send to citizens or to residents of any city when their police are clad in riot gear, when police have uh, heavily armed, almost tanks and these armored vehicles strolling down the streets through protests, and you see much of the same military-type gear that you'd see in Fallujah or that you'd see in Kabul right here on our own streets? That's a great question because that, that is certainly a, a hotbed issue right now. Should the police be policing or should they actually be peace officers? The militarization of our police right now, as you just described it, actually escalates many situations because when you put an individual, uh, such as a police officer, in a situation where he is in riot gear, they're in armored tanks, they're delivering bombs by robot, it, it develops a military mentality of kill first, as opposed to being a peace officer, which I believe is what policing should be first and then doing the military part way down the line. If you create, if you, if you try to create peace first by de-escalating violent situations, and I'm not talking about Dallas specifically right now, but in general, you will work much more towards gaining respect and community trust, and therefore, you know, bringing the circle back of reducing violence. Because if you have trust within the community and the police, you won't have these Dallas incidents won't have people who um, want to do very bad things to people who are there to protect us. Uh, you mentioned earlier the stop and frisk practices of many uh, have come under question, under scrutiny, uh, with racial tensions there. I do want to point really quickly to a Harvard economist, a uh, uh, celebrated Harvard economist, uh, Roland Fryer. He happens to be an African-American. He came out with a study and he said it was one of the most surprising findings of his entire career. And that was that there was no racial bias that he could detect in the use of lethal force from police officers, in fact, he said it was more likely for officers to pull the trigger against a white suspect. However, he said that in non-lethal cases, it was a it, it did tend to be that police officers were more likely to get physical with African American suspects, whether that was handcuffing them, shoving them against the wall, or taking them down 
to the ground. So there did seem to be sort of a difference in the way the police officers found. He looked at over 1,300 cases in 10 major police departments in California, in Texas, and in Florida. How, how would you uh, square that with much of the, many of the cases that you have seen, and would you uh, be able to add any context to why this may be the case? Well, I, I'm not going to come out and disagree with his findings because I haven't read the totality of his findings with respect to deadly force. However, what I would say is that um, skin color does matter, and it seems to me that police pull the trigger much when it is somebody of color than when somebody is not of color. When you shift the focus now to non-uses of deadly force, when it comes to excessive force, then clearly you do see a pattern which we know that does exist where it, it seems to be that skin color does matter, and it should not matter. Policing should be standardized. And I think, you know, I, I saw that, you know, our presumptive candidate, Hillary Clinton, talked about a nationalized uh, uh, police procedure uh, standpoint from on, um, on the use of force and deadly force, which I think would be a very good start because we have too many different rules across the country that aren't being followed um, on, on a routine basis, and, and, we, and, and, and people get stopped, they get hurt unnecessarily as a result. Of course, police do have a very difficult job and work in a tense environment, especially that this entire uh, escalation of, of hostilities, if you will, or tensions has been putting a lot of law enforcement officers on edge as they put on the badge and go out for a, a very dangerous job, as it can always be. Uh, tonight, Attorney Antonio Romanucci joining us again from his offices in Chicago. Antonio, thank you very much. Have a good day. On this edition for Sunday, September 18th, counterterrorism officials look for clues about the explosives set off in a garbage dumpster in Manhattan last night. A man stabbed nine people inside a Minnesota mall, and now ISIS claimed him as a soldier of the Islamic State. And in our signature segment, new technology to help doctors identify when someone may be suicidal. It predicts better than a, a person's own report of whether they're going to make a suicide attempt. It predicts better than clinicians' reports. Next on PBS NewsHour Weekend. From the Tisch WNET studios at Lincoln Center in New York, Allison Stewart. Good evening, and thanks for joining us. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says New York City was, quote, lucky there were no fatalities caused by last night's explosion in or near a dumpster on a Manhattan street. A second unexploded device found in a plastic bag four blocks away was similar in design and is being examined at FBI headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, along with remnants of the first device. Shrapnel and flying debris from the explosion hurt more than two dozen people, all treated and released from local hospitals. Evidence recovery teams worked the scene all day today. The explosion shattered windows but did not cause any structural damage to buildings or subway stations. Governor Cuomo said investigators have not discovered any links between the attack and any known international terrorist group. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and NYPD Commissioner James O'Neill told reporters today the blast was intentional but the motivation is unknown. We're in the process of a complex investigation to determine who did this, and why they did this. The mayor also said police presence in Manhattan will be stronger than usual this week as the United Nations General Assembly gets underway. Investigators are looking into whether the Manhattan incident was connected to the pipe bomb that exploded yesterday morning in the New Jersey shore town of Seaside Park about an hour and a half away. The New Jersey bomb detonated inside a garbage can along the route of a five-kilometer race 
meant to raise money for U.S. Marines. No one was hurt, and the race was canceled. The FBI in Minnesota says it is investigating last night's stabbing spree at a shopping mall an hour from Minneapolis as a potential act of terrorism. But in a statement, the Islamic State or ISIS claimed the assailant was one of its soldiers. Police in St. Cloud, Minnesota say the man who was wearing a private security guard uniform stabbed nine people. Authorities say the attacker made at least one reference to Allah and asked one victim if he was Muslim. An off-duty police officer in the mall shot and killed the man. None of the wounds inflicted by the assailant were life-threatening. Six stabbing victims were treated and released from hospital. The mall is closed until tomorrow. The district attorney in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is investigating whether a police-involved fatal shooting of a black motorist Friday night was justified. The sister of the man who was shot, 40-year-old Terrence Crutcher, says her brother was not armed, and she wants to see any police dashboard camera video of the incident. Police say Crutcher refused to follow commands given by officers, including to put his hands up, as they approached his stalled SUV in the middle of the street. Tulsa police have not said if a weapon was found, but intend to release any available videos tomorrow. Republican vice presidential candidate Mike Pence said today that Donald Trump's comments at a rally Friday night that Hillary Clinton's Secret Service agents should disarm were not meant to threaten or encourage violence against the Democratic nominee. That's absolute nonsense. His comment was that if she didn't have all that security, she'd change her attitude about the right to keep and bear arms. And I'll bet that's probably true. In Miami Friday, Trump said Clinton's bodyguards should, quote, drop all weapons. And then he said, quote, let's see what happens to her. At the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation dinner in Washington last night, President Obama said the best send-off for him and the First Lady would be a strong African-American turnout on Election Day for his former Secretary of State. After we have achieved historic turnout in 2008 and 2012, especially in the African-American community, I will consider it a personal insult, an insult to my legacy. If this community lets down its guard and fails to activate itself in this election. Hear about Arab-American students who are growing up in a post-9-11 climate. Visit us at pbs.org slash newshour. The Internet is a wonderful resource for kids. But in times like these, the Internet can also increase your child's risk of being a victim of crime. Instruct your child to never give out personal information, like their name, address, or school name without your approval. Teach them about frauds and scams that often appear as friendly emails or offers that are too good to be true. Place your computer where you can see what your child is doing. Use software that prevents access to inappropriate sites and chat rooms. Teach your child what to do if they come across such sites or receive solicitations from strangers. Learn how they're using the Internet and how much time they're spending on it. Let's keep our kids as safe in the cyber world as we try to do in the real one. Visit ncpc.org to learn more about how we can protect our children. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Finally! Honey, they have 34 shades of white paint. Come on, it was a tough decision. <laughs> so what did you get? Ultra Premium Puffy Cloud White. And that'll match? I have no idea. There's another can in the car. I just want to sit for a sec. Are you okay? Oh. Oh. 
Two out of three people with diabetes die of a heart attack or stroke, but you can lower the risk. Ask your health care provider how. For more info, go to diabetesactnow.org. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Police in an Atlanta suburb said Thursday, comedian and actor Cat Williams was arrested after he threw a salt shaker at a restaurant manager. The restaurant manager had a bloody cut on his lip, and he and other witnesses told officers it was Williams who injured him. Williams was arrested and charged with battery. Williams' lawyer, Drew Feindling, said he plans to interview witnesses and do his own investigation into the incident. According to the Associated Press, This is the latest in a string of arrests in Georgia for the comedian. Williams was charged with disorderly conduct in late March after police said he and his 17-year-old got into a fight at the Gainesville apartment complex. Authorities have also said Williams was charged with making terroristic threats, false imprisonment, aggravated assault, and possession of marijuana after he threatened a bodyguard's life in early March. Cat Williams has been charged with disorderly conduct. The charge stems from a fight he had with a teen 27 years his younger in an Atlanta apartment complex. The 44-year-old Williams brawled with 17-year-old Luke Walsh, and while Gainesville Police Sergeant Kevin Holbrook said no police report was filed, video footage and witness statements confirmed the fight took place. Holbrook said, it's my understanding that Walsh is in custody at the jail and we have made contact with Williams' attorney and it is our hopes and our understanding that he will be turning himself in. Today is Sunday, September the 18th, 2016, and I saw something today that kind of triggered me a little bit, got me a little heated, got me a little upset. Now, what I'm talking about is Barack Obama's speech before the CBC last night in Washington, D.C. Now, if you don't know what the CBC is, that's a Congressional Black Caucus. It's like a group of uh, black politicos in Washington, D.C., and they have goals. I'm not really sure what their goals are, but I'll place those on the screen before you. You know, I've read their goals, but I really don't know what it is. These goals kind of come across as like word salad. It don't really mean anything. It's just a bunch of words that seem to look good. As far as I know, the CBC is just a bunch of black people that are in Congress in Washington, D.C., and they pretty much just get together and have parties. I really don't know what they do outside of just being in a group having parties like this thing here. Now, of course, Obama's a speaker there. This would be his last address at the CBC, so he kind of wants to go out with a bang, and he also wants to stump for his friend Hillary Clinton. Now, the way he decided to do this was at best – Kind of embarrassing, but at worst, it was just completely disrespectful to the black community to insinuate that we shouldn't vote for somebody else just because we're black. Now, what I want to do is play the clips from the CBC, including the main clip where he says to the CBC that if the black community does not come out and vote for him, it would be a personal insult to him. So go ahead and roll it. 
I mean, he missed that whole civics lesson about slavery and Jim Crow. And... But we got a museum for him to visit. So he can tune in. <laughs> we will educate him. nothing left to lose. So we might as well support somebody who has fought against civil rights and fought against equality and who has shown no regard for working people for most of his life. Well, we do have challenges, but we're not stupid. We know the progress we've made despite the forces of opposition, despite the forces of discrimination, despite the politics of backlash. And we intend to keep fighting against those forces. When governors refuse to expand Medicaid that hits the folks most in need, we'll fight. Folks block an increase to the minimum wage or refuse to expand paid family leave or won't guarantee equal pay for equal work that hurts the pocketbooks of every family and African-American families, we will fight. But don't just watch us walk off into the sunset now. Get people registered to vote. If you care about our legacy, realize everything we stand is at stake. All the progress we've made is at stake in this election. My name may not be on the ballot, but our progress is on the ballot. Tolerance is on the ballot. Democracy is on the ballot. Justice is on the ballot. Good schools are on the ballot. Ending mass incarceration, that's on the ballot right now. And there is one candidate who will advance those, those things. And there is another candidate whose defining principle, the central theme of his candidacy, is opposition to all that we've done. There's no such thing as a vote that doesn't matter. It all matters. After we have achieved historic turnout in 2008 and 2012, especially in the African-American community, I will consider it a personal insult, an insult to my legacy. If this community lets down its guard and fails to activate itself in this election, you want to give me a good send-off? Go vote! And I'm going to be working as hard as I can these next seven weeks to make sure folks do. Okay, so you see what's going on there. You see what he said. You heard what he said. Now, <laughs> this this is just more of this. This is how Democrats behave. They act like the black vote belongs to the Democrat Party. See, me, I'm a guy that's conservative, but my vote will go wherever it best suits. Right? If Trump was running as a Democrat, I vote for Donald Trump, regardless of what. It doesn't really matter what party he was running for. I still vote for him. 
right, if Rand Paul was in the race and I thought he had a good chance and being a libertarian and winning, I'll vote for him there. So to say that just because you are of a certain color or even a certain political affiliation that you must vote with that, that matches, that so-called matches, whatever your color is or whatever your party affiliation on paper is, is ridiculous. And it's even worse to say that because you are a certain color that you got to vote for X, Y, Z person. I can, I can understand a little bit if you have a certain political affiliation, you want to be loyal to the people that you've been loyal to because of who you are politically. It's just like if you are in the Republican Party, if you're actually an elected official and you don't vote for Donald Trump, that's one thing. But if you're just a regular Joe and you just want to go out there and vote, your vote shouldn't be tied to what color you are. But like I say, this is just the things that a Democrat Party does. The Democrats want to have the black vote in their back pocket. They depend on it because they know without the black vote, without a large portion of the Hispanic vote, and a lot of the white vote, they're not going to be able to win. So this is what they do. Now, most of the time they do things kind of in a, in a, in a sly, slick kind of way. They don't really just come out in front of you and say, hey, you're black. Because you're black, vote for me. I mean, can you imagine if it was a white person saying that? Hey, black people, blackies, go out there and vote Democrat because I say so. Because you're a Democrat, and it's an insult to me, Mr. White Man, if you don't vote for the the white lady that's in there right now to be your president. Can you imagine the backlash? I mean, the backlash, honestly, the backlash wouldn't be as bad if a Democrat said that, you know, versus what a Republican would do. Obama got on Donald Trump about the whole, you know, what do you have to lose comments about the black community, and people were really upset. I heard audible gasp, and that's right, in the crowd when he said that, but imagine, just just look at the situation. Donald Trump saying, what do you have to lose? Why not try something new? He was just saying, hey, just give me a shot. Why not? You know, what reason do you have not to give me a shot? Look at what's going on with the Democrat Party. He was saying, give him a shot based on the results that a Democrat Party has produced, not simply because of the skin color, right? Obama's like, look, you're black, vote for me. Don't worry about what we've done or what we haven't done. And then he got a line about, oh, we've made progress. What progress has been made, sir? I mean, you're sitting here talking about how we need to have uh, equal pay, equal work, all these lies. But my thing is, you were saying that since the beginning, since 2008. We're going to, we are going to continue before Nation Talk and I'll wrap up. And a challenge to all of you to go out and vote. This is Nation Talk. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We've been married 38 years, we're retired, and this is how we live united. We play golf and we travel, but we also decided we were going to give to and volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. I do the nursing at the clinic. I work the front office, checking in patients, greeting them, making them feel comfortable. United Way is how we contribute, because we know our time and money are going to the right places the places that need it most and implement it best. 
Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We even get a few bless yous. It's incredible. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic, so we don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. What's the champ wearing? Looks like an examination gown. And from the back... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the get-up? I've got to take care of my family, so I'm getting those important medical screens. <laughs> the fight is over! Champ, you look pretty healthy out there tonight, but I'm still getting those tests. For a list of tests you need, go to ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. We're interns at the U.S. Consulate here in Amsterdam. Today we're at the museum fine asking the public if they think it's important to vote. Let's go see what they say. Let's go. <laughs> you are able to choose the one that's going to leave you. The election is important election, but this one feels particularly important. This is really, really important to vote. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Everyone has a vote. Everyone's vote counts. Did you know that Americans get registered to vote overseas? I wasn't worried about that. I could not. So, do you have anything that you would like to say to American citizens overseas to encourage them to go vote? Um, get registered and figure it out so you can have your vote count. It's important to vote, especially if you're overseas. So, go register and vote. Vote. It's important. Get out and vote. It makes a difference no matter where in the world you are. Always think your vote matters and always vote. Got a fight. So you heard it from them. It's important to register. And to vote. Visit the website link above. And I also want to say that I want people to use this opportunity to go out and vote on Wednesday. Whichever way they vote, getting people engaged, getting people voting, particularly young people, is really, really important. And I'm absolutely certain uh, that this exercise that has happened here, and indeed has been going on in Switzerland for many, many years, I believe that direct democracy is the way forward for the West. We no longer trust our career politicians. We no longer trust people who go straight from university into research offices, become members of parliament at 27 years old, who look the same, think the same, support the same policies, marry each other's sisters. We've had enough. <laughs> and we need, we need a politics. We need a politics that reflects the way that people in a democracy feel. So I'm all for direct democracy. And I think what you're doing here is setting a very important precedent, I hope, for many other what used to be democratic nations across the West.
And then there's Donald Trump. Don't boo. Vote. You know, the, uh, the, the Donald is not really a plans guy. He's not really a facts guy either. He calls himself a business guy, which is true, but I have to say I know plenty of businessmen and women who've achieved remarkable success without leaving a trail of lawsuits and unpaid workers and people feeling like they got cheated. Does anyone really believe that a guy who spent his 70 years on this earth showing no regard for working people is suddenly going to be your champion, your voice. Hey, if so, you should vote for him. But if you're someone who's truly concerned about paying your bills, if you're really concerned about pocketbook issues and seeing the economy grow and creating more opportunity for everybody, then the choice isn't even close. If you want someone with a lifelong track record of fighting for higher wages and better benefits and a fairer tax code and a bigger voice for workers and stronger regulations on Wall Street, then you should vote for Hillary Clinton. We will. We will. We will. We will. We will. We will be counted. We will matter. We will stand our ground. We will be brave. 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 We will be heard. Heard. We will. We will. We will. We will organize. Because we matter. Because you matter. We will vote because we make a difference. We will vote. We will. We will. Okay, give me a name, guys.
Do I look like someone who's never voted before? <laughs> I voted before. Yeah. <laughs> I did. All right, all right. I never voted. Okay. I, I registered to vote, though. That's the important thing. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I never registered, okay? But I thought about it. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, they don't exactly make it. Board of Elections and find out how to vote, right? And you know what that means? It means they're going to put you on hold and you're going to have to listen to Kenny G for a half an hour. Oh, we heard that. You're making my hair so poofy. And then insult to injury, you got to give them your real age. In my case, that's 21. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> See, then you got to educate yourself about the issues. I mean, you got to find out about the candidates, right? you got to read about their plans. you got to read about their backgrounds. Read about their wives and their wife's cookies. I mean, you know, really interesting stuff. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you can never know too much about these guys. Right? Get out of my eye line. I mean, voting for a president is like hiring help. I want references. You know what I'm saying? Did anybody get Cosmo? Now you got to stop watching MTV and start watching C-SPAN all the time, which lately has not been that difficult of a switch to make. Next, you're going to have to start planning for this all important day, okay? What do you have to do? Well, you have to find out where to vote, right? Uh -huh. It's probably going to be in a local school, a church, the Sonic Temple, Elf Lodge, <laughs> Motel 6. I mean, who goes to these places? I'm not sure it's Motel 6. Then you got to start making sacrifices. you got to give things up. I mean, you got to cancel your facial. You gotta cancel your manicure, your pedicure, do a combo, your bikini wipes. I mean, thanks for sharing. We're talking about major sacrifices here. Major. You gotta be brave, right? Are we ready? Can we be brave? Because chances are you're gonna find yourself at the end of a very long line once you get there. Now, if you do, now I have never done this myself, but if you do, I suggest you push, scratch, claw, and kick your way to the front. Okay? Okay. So finally, you're in there. You make your choice. You vote, and it's over. I mean, all that sweating and pushing and pulling and clawing and suffering, bam, it's done. Kind of like, like sex with my boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, what do I get out of it? I'll tell you what I get out of it. A good night's sleep. Because if I have to listen to him complain one more night about how I'm not a responsible citizen of this country and how my vote can make a difference, how if everyone had the same lousy attitude I have, where would we be? I swear I'm going to blow chunks. <sighs> my hormones are getting over. <laughs> now, you're probably thinking it's not a very good example. Don't interrupt me, okay? This is the um, climax of the whole thing. Now, you're probably thinking that's not a very good reason. It's not a very good reason to vote, Donna. So sue me. Everybody else does. You guys finished? Done. I'm going to vote. I need something to wear, darling. Please, share votes and stuff like that. And with that note, that's <laughs> from that that note, we leave it there with that message from Madonna.
rocking the vote. Please go out and register to vote. It's very, very important. Go and register to vote. Thanks to all of you who are listening, who heard, who um, who are um, tune in, not only live but by way of podcast. Thank you all so much. Tomorrow morning we'll be on 6 a.m. Eastern Time for Morning Inspirations. Also, in October, also in October, October the 4th, Lighthouse Hour returns. So we will be back with that program. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, the Generator Production, com, and its sponsors. This has been Nation Talk, a public affairs program, public affairs program that airs on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Us here on another talk show, another nation talk show on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Well, I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Till tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Good night and God bless. And register to vote. Rock to vote. If you'd like to hear more of Nation Talk, go to our blog at nationtalkradio.wordpress.com. That's nationtalk.wordpress.com. You can hear repeats of this program and read our blogs. nationtalkradio.wordpress.com. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.